open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we're still looking at Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Remember, this is the only speech in Acts delivered to those who are already Christians. We saw last time Paul's summary of his ministry, how he kept back nothing that was profitable, testifying to Jews and Greeks. And today we're going to read his exhortation to the elders. Remember, he's passing the baton to the elders. He's saying, I ministered here for three years. I pastored this church. I built this church. I worked for this church. I'm leaving and I'm handing it all to you. Elders, take over. You've got this. Don't drop it. So he's telling them about his ministry first. We looked at that last time. And today, he gives them direct imperatives. Watch. Be on guard. And he gives them some reasons why they should guard. Because the Spirit put them in this job. Because God purchased the church with His own blood. Because wolves will come in. And then he circles back to his original point. I, Paul, ministered well. So that's a reason that you should keep up the good work. Well, let's listen to what he tells them. Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the elders in this church would be on guard, not asleep at their post, not convinced that there is no danger or threat but carefully scanning the horizon and caring for the flock under their charge. We pray that for the elders of every church, that they would keep the wolves and the wild boars and the other predators out and the flock safe and well-fed within. Help us as the flock now to eat this food from your word that is placed before us. Help us to be spiritually well-nourished so that we can stand against threats. We pray that your Son would be our Good Shepherd and speak to us in this message. Help me to speak boldly the very words of God to this particular flock and help us all to listen. Free us from distraction. Help thou my weak wit and sharpen my dull tongue. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in an era of distraction. We all know it. There are many things vying for our attention. One example, in the 11 years that I've been a book reviewer for World Magazine, the length of the typical review has gone from 300 words to 125 words. <coughs> Cut down by about 60%. Why? Because that's the average attention span now compared to just what it was in 2011. People don't have time for a 300-word book review. Paul tells us to fight against the distraction. He says... Elders, watch. Don't be distracted. Watch yourselves. Watch the flock because Jesus bought the flock. 
The flock belongs to Jesus. Don't be distracted. Guard it. So three points, whom to guard, how to guard, why to guard. Who are we guarding? The answer is the flock. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. You're guarding yourself, you're guarding the flock. Paul uses the word take heed, guard, watch, protect, however you want to phrase it. We elders are on duty. The Bible tells us to pay attention to a few different things. It doesn't say watch baseball scores. Pay attention to the markets. It doesn't say watch international politics. No, it says watch yourself, watch the flock. Pay attention to the Word of God, and the Word of God tells you to pay attention to yourself and to the flock. So, watch yourself. Paul's first point to these elders. What's the biggest threat to the church in Ephesus? Unfortunately, it's not wolves from outside. It is the elders and their own sin. That's why his first word to them is watch yourselves. You can imagine yourself you know, walking through the booby trap cave with Samuel L. Jackson or Indiana Jones and you reach out to touch the wrong thing. He turns around and shoves his torch in your face and says, watch yourself. That's what Paul is saying to us and to all elders. Watch yourself. You're the one that's going to pull the wrong thing and drop the spikes, send the boulder rolling down on us. Whatever terrible thing is going to happen, it's going to happen if you don't watch yourself. In other words, elders are what stands between the flock and death. And they can unleash that death on the flock by failing to watch themselves. Watch yourself for sin. Am I honoring father and mother? Am I respecting life? Being chaste? Keeping my stuff to myself and not taking other people's stuff? Am I telling the truth? Do I have a covetous heart or a content heart? And so on. Am I paying attention to my job and my hobbies but not my walk with God? That is a failure to watch yourself. To watch yourself is to pay attention to whether you are fit to shepherd the flock of God. Are you ready to stand against the wolves? Or are you going to stand by while the wolves do their thing? Or, heaven forbid, are you so far gone gone that you'll sell out the flock to the wolves to make a quick buck? So Paul says, watch yourself. And then he says, watch the flock. What kind of shape is the flock in? How is their walk with God? If a family in the church comes to you as an elder and says, we're getting a divorce, will you be blindsided? Or will you say, yeah, I know. Now, watching the flock doesn't mean that you'll know everything. Elders are not called to omniscience. But if you put the tortillas on the griddle, you can stand there with the spatula and watch to see if they, when they are ready to turn. Or you can put them on the griddle and go out to mow the lawn. If you're not watching, you won't know and you will burn all of the tortillas. Now, if you are watching, it's possible that you'll miss one, that you'll flip one over and say, oh, that got burned. 
but at least you were standing there watching. And that's Paul's message to the elders. Talk to the sheep. Gather with the sheep. Ask the sheep questions. Listen to the response. Elders, watch the flock. Know where your flock is at. So, who to guard? Yourself and the flock. How do you guard? And Paul tells us that. Take heed to yourselves to shepherd the church. How do you guard the church? You guard it by shepherding. Now, the English word is shepherd, which is an obvious compound of two English words, sheep and herd. The shepherd or sheep herd is the one who goes out with the flock, leads them in green pastures beside still waters, makes sure they have what they need. To shepherd the church of God is to feed the sheep, watch the sheep, protect the sheep, care for the sheep. In terms of Paul's metaphor, it means to give spiritual food consisting of the word of God to every member of the church. It means to make sure that the people in the church are spiritually cared for. It means to make sure that everyone in the church has the resources for spiritual growth. That's what shepherding the flock means. So put out the food, which is the Word of God. We strive to do that at this church, uh, especially on Sunday, with an hour of Sunday school and two hours of worship every Sunday. So three meals, as it were, for God's people. That's spiritual food. The key to individual health is herd health, and the key to herd health is nutrition. Underfed sheep will get sick. Well-fed sheep will stay healthy. And in terms of the metaphor, again, Christians who are not getting enough of God's Word in their life will come up with all kinds of delusions, silly ideas, and ultimately dangerous and deadly heresies. Paul says to the elders, make sure that does not happen. Feed this flock. Shepherd this flock. Give them the resources that they need for spiritual growth. And also, stop the sheep from eating bad food. There's bad pasture out there. There's poisonous books. There's wrong teaching. There's spiritual gurus or even people by the name of pastors who pump out material that is ungodly and wrong. One of you came to me recently and was like, wait, I just discovered the book Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Her husband is a PCA minister and the book is trash. Right. That's why elders need to shepherd the flock and make sure that the flock is eating good food, not bad food. To shepherd the church is to help it grow in love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus. It is what Jesus describes as making disciples. Teach them to obey everything I commanded. Paul gives that charge to the Ephesian elders. Shepherd the church of God. That means teach them to love Jesus, teach them to obey Jesus. And you do that by making sure they get well fed. So why should the elders do this? Why should they shepherd the church of God? Well, Paul gives four really good reasons to the elders as to why they should do this. The first is that 
the Spirit handpicked you for this job. All the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The dignity of the one who called you to the job is such that you should pay very careful attention to the job. This was not some low-level hiring committee that said, we're going to grab this guy and make him an elder. No, it was a call from the Holy Spirit. We can think, to use another political example, of a cabinet-level position. If you are working in the administration of the president, you've been called to that job by somebody very important, either the president or one of his most trusted advisors. And so you should pay careful attention to the job you are doing in a cabinet-level position. Paul says being an elder is a much higher position than a cabinet-level position. You're not in the emperor's close circle. The Holy Spirit has called you by name and said, I want you to shepherd this flock. I am making you an overseer here. Now the Greek word for overseer, episkopos, came into English originally as bishop. And it's where we get the Episcopalian church. That is a church run by bishops or episkopoi in Greek. But the homely English translation, overseers, works better than the word bishop. You hear bishop and you think, some, fan, some guy in a fancy hat. Paul isn't saying, wear a fancy hat. Epi means over and skopos means see. So, episkopos is best translated as overseer. Somebody who watches what's going on in the church and has final authority in the church to make sure that what's going on is correct, is good, is what ought to be going on. In English, we have this little... Uh, little word game where you have the over to oversee is the opposite of to overlook. Overlook means you don't notice. Oh, I missed that. I accidentally overlooked it. The elder is not called to be an overlooker. He's called to be an overseer. Somebody who watches what's going on, pays attention, and directs the activity. So, the elders are charged with maintaining the spiritual government of the church, and they're charged with that not by the congregation, not by the pastor, not by the regional church, or some district superintendent in an office, but by no one less than the Holy Spirit. So that's the first reason to guard the church. Pay attention to yourself and the flock because the Holy Spirit told you to. Second, pay attention because God purchased the church with his own blood. Now this is one of the few places in the Bible where physical parts are ascribed to God in such a graphic way. God is a spirit. He doesn't have blood, and yet Paul says he purchased the church with his own blood. Now you can also read the Greek sentence in English as he purchased the church with the blood of his own. Either way, he's clearly referring to the blood of Jesus and saying that that is blood that belongs in a special way to God. Now what is, what is Paul getting at here? We know that the church was bought by the blood of Jesus. But that tends to get us all confused. Wait, who was it bought from? Right? Is there some kind of 
Christian superstore where God walked in and said, I'd like to buy a church, please. Who is he buying it from? What's the supplier? People have gotten all confused about this. And some said, well, the church was bought from Satan. That's not it at all. You see, the confusion arises because we are born into a world where we can gain or lose in net worth. We're born having nothing. And then our parents might give us something. We might go out and work and earn something. And we might get a lot of money. Or alternatively, we could have a lot and then lose it and end up once again with nothing and start over. God isn't like that. And that's where the confusion over the purchase price of the church comes in. We understand that ultimately we are saved from the wrath of God, not from Satan. We are saved from the wrath of God by the Son of God who paid with His life so that we could live. But who was His life paid to? The answer is His life was paid to His Father. But who paid His life? And the answer is the Father. And so people get all confused and say, well, it's circular. God paid Himself in order to save us. That makes no sense. But actually, it's the critics who make no sense because they don't understand what it means to have everything. We can gain or lose in net worth. If I give $10 to Walmart, Walmart has the $10, and I don't. But God is not that way. As Paul says elsewhere, of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. God has everything. And God has everything in such a way that He could never lose it. God will always have everything. If you think about the ransom theory and say, well, what if God were ransoming us from the devil and the devil demanded a universe the size of our present universe filled entirely with gold? How hard would it be for God to do that? All he would have to do is say, let it be so. And Satan could have a universe the size of our present universe filled entirely with gold. Or Satan could demand four earths and God could make them and hand them over. Or anything Satan could possibly demand, God could generate and give it to him for free. As I mentioned last week, it costs God nothing to exercise his power. To vary the metaphor a little bit, imagine that somebody has been taken captive and that the captors demand a ransom of 10 million cubic feet of air. What would you say? Why should I pay you air? How how would you even know when you got it? Air... Air is the one thing that we have as human beings in essentially unlimited quantities. It's pressing down around you from all sides. The only way you can get out of air is to go into water. Otherwise, air is always around you. God, physical things are like that for God. He can make anything for free, just like you can take an unlimited number of breaths for free. There's no limitation on the amount of air you can use. It's there, 
And there's more where that came from, no matter how much you breathe. In the same way, no matter how much physical stuff God makes, there's more where that came from. So as I mentioned last week, God was looking for a ransom that would cost even Him something. It couldn't be a cheap ransom or a free ransom. And the only thing He could think of, if I may say so reverently, is His Son. That was the only price that would cost even God something. As the one from whom, to whom, and through whom are all things, any created thing is worth the same amount, which is nothing, because there's infinitely many more of them. God can make as many as He wants, instantly, with no effort. So rather than paying Himself with some kind of created thing, God paid Himself a ransom with an uncreated thing. The blood of His Son. That is, your salvation was costly. It cost God Almighty the heaviest amount that even He could possibly pay. So Paul says, shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. God paid His own blood to Himself. But He did it in order to buy the church. That is how valuable God considers us. Not valuable enough to create another universe filled with gold, but more valuable than that. Valuable enough that the life of His Son was the thing that He gave. God was willing to pay the heaviest price ever paid to acquire anything to acquire the church. If you look in the record books, you'll see that the biggest corporate merger ever was a 1999 deal in which Vodafone acquired another mobile operator called Monismon for an inflation-adjusted $287 billion. Biggest corporate merger and acquisition in history. But God paid far more than $287 billion for the church. And so Paul says, shepherd this thing. God paid the biggest amount ever paid to gain the church. He paid it to himself. He paid it from himself because that's how being God works. But he paid it. And it cost him the life of his son. Paul gives a third good reason. Why else should you pay attention and shepherd the flock? Because wolves will come flocking in. Savage wolves, fierce wolves, wild and greedy and feral wolves. Wolves want to eat the sheep. Wolves don't want to feed the sheep. Wolves want to destroy the flock. It's well known among sheep herders that wolves and other dog kind of animals don't even necessarily eat the sheep. They just love to kill. They'll go through and tear the throats out of dozens or hundreds of sheep without eating any of them. Or maybe just eating one. Paul says, wolves are a threat to this flock. That's why, elders, you need to watch. Wolves can come in 
from outside. We can think of persecutors attacking the church in the name of a very a different religion or in the name of a secular state. We can think of politicians trying to co-opt the church and make it their ticket to electoral success or some kind of state church that will pray for them and make them more glorious in their kingdom. Persecutors, wolves, come in from outside, but Paul says there's also wolves that come from inside. And even from the ranks of the elders, from among yourselves, men will rise up. And what do they do? They speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. What is the biggest threat to the church? Not the angry, persecuting communist state. Not the politician trying to co-opt the church and make it a state church. But ultimately, the biggest threat, as we have seen, is pastors who go to liberal seminaries, learn liberal nonsense, come to strong, healthy churches, and gradually poison the sheep over multiple generations, thus destroying whole flocks, whole denominations, whole state churches across multiple countries. It's been going on for over 200 years in the Christian, once Christian lands of the West. Paul says, what's the biggest danger to the church? Wolves? Yes. Outside wolves? No. Inside wolves. Wolves who have that title of elder, who speak perverse things, who tell lies, who spew theological liberalism, or some other kind of error, they are the biggest threat to the church, and they do it to gain a name for themselves, to get a bunch of disciples who will follow their distorted doctrine. And, of course, there's not just theological malfeasance, there's also sexual sin, financial sin. Uh, one, the New Jerusalem Bible describes this verse, or translates this verse, as they have a travesty of the truth on their lips, to induce the disciples to follow them. So yes, liberal theologians and pastors destroy churches. But so do otherwise orthodox pastors who love their fiefdom, their power, their ministry, their platform, their status, more than they love Christ. When that happens, the one with the title elder has become a wolf. How do you know whether you're a wolf elder? The answer is when you use your power to confront the victims instead of the evildoers. When you don't go after the wolves, but go after the sheep. When you go after those who can't do anything to you, rather than confronting those who actually have power to hurt you. That's when you become a wolf. You are all about protecting your status, not about protecting the flock. Watch yourself. That's how Paul started his discourse to the elders. And that's how he finishes it. Therefore, watch. Watch yourself lest you become a wolf. And the final reason to watch, the fourth reason, is because Paul ministered truly. For three years he did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's the mission. Paul has handed the baton on to the elders and said, this is your job now, elders. Warn people. Watch 
guard the flock, warn people about their sin, help them to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, live for Jesus. Warn people when they need warning. Paul says that's a big part of the elder's job. Our culture is very safety conscious and requires warning labels on all kinds of things. But before warning labels were in fashion, it was the elder's job to warn people that sin will send you to hell. Don't do that. Stay away from that wrong idea, that bad food, that false teacher, whatever the case might be. Paul warned people day and night for three years. It's the elder's job to continue to warn people. There are informal warnings all the way up to the most formal kind of warning, which is excommunication. Formally telling someone the church has decided, the elders, to the best of their knowledge and ability, believe that you are on the path to hell. Turn around. Come back. That's what excommunication is. It is a formal warning. There are many lesser kinds of warning, such as this sermon. It's a warning. Guard the flock. So elders shepherd the flock, feed the flock, care for it, supervise it, And when the chief shepherd appears, as Peter said, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why do it? Because God paid the ultimate price, death itself, to buy this flock. And then he puts you in a supervisor position over her. Watch yourself. Don't be distracted. Pay attention. You're in charge of the most valuable thing God ever bought. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the elders whom you have called in this church. We pray that you would call more. We pray for elders in other churches too. We ask that every elder would watch, would pay attention, would not become a wolf, would remain a soft-hearted sheep following the good shepherd and overseeing the other sheep according to the call of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to watch ourselves Pay attention to the flock. We pray for the flock to pray for and support their elders and to encourage them in their eldership. We ask for the elders who will gather at General Assembly. We pray that this passage would be fresh in their minds, that there would be no wolf-like behavior going on there, but that it would be the goal of every elder in all good conscience to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. We pray these things in the name of your risen Son who bought us so we could be his church. Amen.